0: Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel podcast, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up-to-date on technical trends in the field and also help them to succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, we'll be talking to Rose McClure, a senior consulting engineer at Simpson Gumpertz & Hager in Chicago. Rose will discuss SE3, an NCSEA committee which works to improve the engagement and retention of structural engineers. We previously talked about SE3 in episode 11 with Danny Paxson and Nick Shero-Groves, PE. But in this episode, Rose will provide us the latest updates on the SE3 2020 survey, the state of engagement and equity in the SE profession, and the future of the profession from the perspective of a younger engineer. I'm your co-host, Alexis Clark. I'm a licensed professional engineer in Texas and graduated with a degree in civil engineering from UT Austin. I work in Hilti's North American headquarters as the product manager of our chemical anchoring portfolio in the U.S. and Canada.
1: And I'm your co-host, Matt McCartell. I'm a licensed engineer at DCI Engineers practicing on structural engineering projects in California with an undergraduate degree from Cal Poly Pomona and a master's degree in structural engineering from UC San Diego. Now I'd like to introduce our guest for this episode, Rose McClure. Rose is an energetic structural engineer whose passion for the built environment drives her everyday interactions with other design professionals. With 10 years of experience on new and existing commercial, institutional, and residential projects, she specializes in the repair and rehabilitation of existing structures and the analysis and design of foundation systems. Rose believes strongly in engagement, teaching, and mentorship. Through clear communication and effective team building, she brings a collaborative approach to all of her projects. Having worked in New York, North Carolina, California, and now in Illinois, she has a unique perspective on the state of practice within the industry and brings this knowledge to ongoing efforts regarding engineering engagement and equity. She's also involved with the structural engineering community through NCSEA and ASCESEI. Rose is also the chair of the Structural Engineering Engagement and Equity Committee, or SE3, and she's also a member of the SEAOI Continuing Education and WISE Committees, and a member of the SEI Public Relations Committee.
0: Rose, welcome to the Structural Engineering Channel. Thanks, Alexis. It's great to be here. Before we dive into this really exciting topic about SE3, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about what you do on a daily basis in your job at Simpson-Gumperts Hager?
2: So I am a senior consulting engineer at um, Simpson-Gumperts Hager in our Chicago office, but I actually started working at SGH in our San Francisco office and was in California for about five years. The work that I do on a daily basis varies quite a bit. Uh, in California, I work primarily in seismic repair and rehab of concrete and wood frame building structures. In uh, Chicago and Illinois, I do quite a bit of um, high-end residential work. Across my experience in both of those cities, I do a fair amount of, throughout my career, I do a fair amount of work on foundations. And that basically means I work at the interface between structural engineering and geotechnical engineering often um, doing projects that are sometimes on the waterfront in what we consider heavy civil work or um, adjacent construction and providing construction support.
1: So one of the topics that we want to discuss with you today is the structural engineering engagement and equity, the SE3 project. Uh, First off, for, for those who haven't heard of the SE3 project before, can you just give a brief explanation on what it is?
2: SE3 stands for Structural Engineering Engagement and Equity. It is a committee of the NCSEA, the National Council of Structural Engineers Associations. I am the current chair of this committee, but it actually started in Northern California in 2015 as a sort of ad hoc committee within the Structural Engineers Association of Northern California in San Francisco. As a committee, both nationally and through local SEA member organizations, we work to improve engagement, retention, diversity, and inclusion. The overall mission of SE3 is to attract and retain the best talent that we can into our profession and to ensure that all structural engineers have their pathway to success in their careers, however they might choose to define that success.
1: Thanks for that, Rose. And one of the new areas that we want to study in this 2020 study for the SE3 committee. And by the way, if you guys haven't checked it out, there was a 2016 and the 2018 survey reports for the SE3 committee. There's definitely some great insights there that I participated in. For this podcast, we do want to focus on some of the new topics, the new insights that we want to focus on for the 2021. And Rose, one of the new studies or I guess not new, but I know you guys are looking at it a different way. It's something called the aspiration gap. So what is that? And why do certain people want to become leaders in their firms and others not? And are our businesses equipped to deal with these alternate career paths for those who don't want to necessarily advance to a principal level?
2: As you said, this topic of the aspiration gap uh, is not necessarily new to the 22 study, but the way that we are framing our questions around aspirations and career goals is somewhat new. So when we refer to the quote-unquote aspiration gap, what we're talking about is the desire for anyone within the structural engineering profession to become a principal, a project manager, any given level. And let us just first start off by saying that Every business is set up differently, so it's quite difficult to standardize the way in which we categorize uh, position level. There are certainly lots of business entities in, within the structural engineering and AEC industry at large that don't follow this principle model. What we're really referring to with this aspiration gap study is, is whether people aspire to become leaders within their firms. And in previous surveys, we tried to understand the reasons why people don't want to aspire to become principal. This time around, we wanted to dig deeper into alternative career paths that people might take. For instance, what we're finding in the preliminary results of 2020 is that almost 50% of respondents actually do not aspire to become principal. This does vary a little bit by demographic group, depending on age, years of experience, and gender men and women may approach this question differently. What we're finding is that um, women are less likely to aspire to become principal than men are. And engineers of a certain age after a certain number of years experience are also less likely to. In 2020, we really want to understand whether the reasons are because of time constraints or desire not to commit um, to the responsibility of becoming principal, or whether there's other reasons. And those other reasons might be something like Just being happy in a technical role, not necessarily wanting to go out and develop business or to manage clients or to manage projects. So this leads to the second part of the question, which has to do with alternative career paths and whether our business organizations and firms are set up and well equipped with different roles and responsibilities and paths for people who may not necessarily want to rise to leadership. And this is where I think the real interesting aspects of our study may lead to new and different alternative responses, which are that um, if people don't necessarily aspire to principle, then let's ask ourselves how many of our firms are recognize alternative roles and responsibilities and allow people to practice
1: what they appreciate most in instructional engineering. I think that's one of the things that's most valuable about the survey is that you do bring this data up. And I think it's especially valuable for people that are that are like leadership position in their firms. Like these are the issues that they're facing. Like, for example, this career path gap. Some principals might think that, yeah, everyone wants to be a principal. Why wouldn't you, right? But then this data is showing, hey, no, you let's just say you have this other group that doesn't want to be principal and they're in your firm. It, brings up the question, like the really uh, hard question of what do you do about that other group that doesn't want to be principal? What are their goals? Are you going to ignore their goals? Or are you going to try to find something that helps them in their career path that they want, even though it's not that principal? So that's a powerful question that firms need to ask themselves. And it really does depend on the firm too.
2: Yeah, that's right.
0: So Rose, um, kind of switching from flexibility in career path to flexibility in working arrangements, we find ourselves in a very interesting time (laughs) in which we obviously are facing a pandemic and this COVID crisis. And everyone has, for the most part in the structural engineering profession, been able to pretty easily transition to a work from home situation, uh, just kind of a generalization. But in comparison to other industries, we have some benefits. What do you think this pandemic means for the long-term acceptability of working remotely in the structural engineering industry moving forward. You're
2: absolutely right. At the time of this recording, we are right smack dab in the middle of this pandemic. And I think that the lessons that we learn uh, moving forward from this are uh, still in large part remain to be seen. Even now, uh, just in the first uh, month or so of this, I think that we're already uh, seeing some potential long-term implications of what it means to work from home. I can share with you a little bit some preliminary results from the data that we've collected so far in 2020 that's relevant to this topic. And that is that currently of the people who responded, which is about 2,000, over 90% of the respondents are currently working from home during this time. And then when you look at that pool of respondents and you look at whether they worked from home before, over 70% of those same people indicated that they never or rarely worked remotely before this time. So it's quite staggering to think of what our profession and others have had to go through in terms of transition into this working from home period. Like I said, the long-term implications of what COVID is going to mean to us and how we are able to do our work still remains to be seen. But I think that there's a couple of things that are likely to come out of this. And one of them has to do with the acceptability of working from home. People who were potentially skeptical about what could be achieved from home before are now being forced to grapple with the fact that work has to be performed and we have to meet our project and client demands and, and perform at the same level or close to the same level from a remote work situation. And so I think that this, the experience that we're all going through together right now, is really calling into question just how much work can we get, achieve? How much can we do together when working separately and on our own? The second implication, I think, uh, has to do with the topic of childcare. So um, I'm sure that many of you have been on conference calls recently where there are are screaming children in the background or other background noise like pets and animals and and things of that nature. I think that the current work environment with everybody working in isolation is calling into question the the role of of childcare and how to balance work with family. In some ways, this question has always been lingering in the background, but I, I think that in recent weeks and in the recent month, it's just become more um, apparent when people have to balance their everyday work demands, their schedules, what they're able to get done with their teams alongside raising family and small children.
1: I know from the previous SE3 surveys, I think one of the things related to work flexibility was the perception of it. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the previous surveys kind of showed that it's kind of looked down upon working from home people generally have a a stigma of, oh, you're working less or you're not doing your work. Do you see any like changes in that now that we're in this pandemic and everyone's working from home? Do you think that'll improve the overall perception of of working from home? Yeah,
2: I think um, that's a good point, Matt. And it is something that we have touched upon in in prior studies. There is this stigma against parents and people who have children. And um, it kind of goes both ways, actually. The stigma is that When you are working from home or working remotely and you're also taking care of a child, that there's no way you can do both effectively and produce the same amount of work, right? But when I say it goes both ways, I mean, there's also a stigma against people without children in that people who don't have children and are working in the office uh, during regular times, I should say, are expected to kind of work more hours because they don't have that family responsibility. Even if they do have hobbies and goals and other things that that interests outside of work, their interests are somehow um, devalued relative to the requirement of caring for children, right? And so the stigma of childcare really does go both ways for parents and also non-parents.
0: So Rose, I want to dive into that once more and and just take one more tangent for these accommodations for childcare. And some of the unbalanced loads at home that can affect some groups of those in structural engineering over others. There is a woman who I follow on LinkedIn. She's fantastic. She actually is the founder and CEO of MathSP, which is a, an organization that tries to help increase the competence of girls in STEM. Her name is Stephanie Espy, and we'll make sure to include her in the links in today's show notes. So she actually posted this morning a little bit about how different technical publications are receiving historically low numbers of submissions, uh, technical journals, etc. from women over the past six weeks, which happened to coincide with about the same time uh, the majority of the U.S. started self-quarantining or um, stay-at-home orders. How do you see there being a need for different levels of childcare or spouse care or um, different types of dependents, whether it's aging parents or young children? And how are these kind of benefits going to be needed in the future? And what will the implications be for diversity in a very technical and time-intensive industry like structural engineering?
2: Very interestingly, something that I have been personally trying to track um, and better understand in recent years is this question about how parenting and child care responsibilities impacts um, one's career with instructional engineering. And some of the things that I am personally seeing in terms of industry trends tracks with generational differences in the way that the current generation of young parent structural engineers are approaching this parenting question. And no question that the topic of child care, of course, still more negatively impacts female engineers than male engineers, but one trend that I am observing is that male engineers of this current generation are, and by that I'm referring to primarily millennials and people who are young parents currently practicing structural engineering, is that there's this tendency to um, value co-parenting or equal equitable distribution of responsibilities at home, even if it's not parenting, just home responsibilities. And I think that this is leading to a very interesting dynamics when it comes to how one's career might be impacted by one's decision to, to care for a child. This is certainly something that we are hoping to dive into further in 2020. And we do have several new key questions related to child care, how child care is distributed and how that has impacted
1: your desire to advance within your career structural engineering. I know one of the main goals was trying to find out, are people leaving the structural engineering profession? And I know you guys have been asking that question in the past previous surveys. Is, have you seen any specific trends with that that have been changing? And is that even still a problem today? And how serious or often do people consider leaving? Could you expand more on that?
2: At its core, the SE3 committee is working to tackle engagement, and retention. We are very much focused on understanding the the needs of businesses within the SE profession um, in order to secure the future of the profession. At its core, I cannot emphasize enough how important retention is to everybody. In terms of highlighting trends that we're seeing, it is hard to track trends over just two survey cycles and moving forward. But I absolutely think that some of the generational differences that we're talking about are seeing themselves play out in some of the data that we've collected to date. This has to do with things that we are anecdotally observing that people value more in the younger generation of people we are recruiting from university today. And the so-called desires to balance work and life and other things in the millennial and gen XYZ communities, right? One potential example of this is has to do with questions that people ask during the recruiting process during the university. So I can say for a fact that when I graduated and entered the structural engineering workforce 10 years ago, I don't think I ever would have even dreamed about asking about work-life balance, diversity, certainly not, or even work environment. I don't think I asked very, very many questions about that. And I think my, my sole focus was trying to find a place where I could learn and grow as a structural engineer, right? But certainly what I'm seeing now through our survey and also through anecdotal evidence in my own recruiting efforts is that. Um, today's generation of young engineers are seem to be looking for something more from their employers. They're looking for not only a desirable work environment, um, but also a place where people try to balance their working hours and aren't, are concerned about burnout and stress and potentially looking for an environment that is more diverse. So certainly, I think from a recruitment and retention perspective, these are some things that we're seeing cut across generational lines that didn't necessarily factor in to the way we recruited
1: in the past. I know that's one of the things that when we're recruiting interns or new entries, that's one of the things that always keeps coming up to that the past principals haven't encountered too much is like the, the work-life balance, the culture of the company. So it is something that, that is important to the new incoming generation of structural engineers.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the other generational trend that we see that sort of ties in with this um, has to do with when people are most vulnerable to leaving. So in the last survey cycle, we found that people with about two to three years of experience are uh, very likely to consider leaving the profession. This go around where we're digging into this further to see just how serious people are about actually leaving whether they've interviewed elsewhere, whether they've made plans to go study in a different field and things of that nature. But what we're finding is that, and I think this is supported by anecdotal evidence as well, that people in this younger generation of students that we're recruiting really tend to get a little bit sidetracked after just a couple of years of working as structural engineers. They start thinking about, well, what else could I do or what else should I go out and experience? And uh, something that I think is, is happening is that this younger generation of engineers is actually... They not only value diversity of experience, but they encourage others to go explore those opportunities. Whereas um, the engineers of yesterday were probably more focused on this linear career path where you go to school for something specific and proceed into this career and continue down this very rigid linear path. I think students these days tend to be valuing more diverse experiences, they're more apt to consider going to work in construction or going to work in a different field altogether after just a few years. It's pretty brutal. Um, It's a brutal reality to face from the structural engineering profession because we all know that recruiting and investing time in training engineers through those critical first few years is a huge investment a time investment, financial investment. And to see people leave during that time period is especially brutal.
1: With COVID-19 and everyone working from home, and it kind of ties into mentorship too. I don't think virtual can really replace that one-on-one mentorship, especially if you're working in building design or I think in any profession, getting that one-on-one mentorship definitely helps. But I don't know. What do you think about like virtual mentorship? I guess it's better than nothing. This is something that I, I thought it would be hard to replace.
2: I think that it is something that is hard to replace this one-on-one uh, perception of working in a team, working with others and training people in person, right? And it actually brings to mind a conversation I had years ago with the principal of my firm regarding remote work and the challenges of this current situation that we're in, exactly. And his comment was that it seemed there was endless opportunities for working from home um, when it comes to doing your own work and getting it done. But the, the main challenge of doing work from home is functioning as part of a team and managing others and being available to others in that remote setting. I'd like to think that we've all sort of risen to the challenge in the last few weeks in um, finding new and creative ways, potentially through use of technology, to interact with each other more, to interface on a more regular basis, to be able to simulate that one-on-one experience virtually as best we can. But it's certainly something that will be continued to be explored.
0: So when we're talking about these different experiences that, that young structural engineers are looking for, I'm wondering, you know, is there something we're missing from a profession standpoint where there are almost like a co-op experience where we have young engineers who are working for a general contractor and they each swap positions for six months. And obviously, that's a greater investment in time and energy to get them you know, up to speed and more competent in a short time of period of time like that. But is there an exchange program that there can be internally within a a group like SGH that's across the U.S., where you have someone who's in Chicago who goes and spends six months in San Francisco and then spends another six months in New York or, you know, can get that breadth of experience that a lot of younger professionals are looking for but still retain that talent.
2: Absolutely. And I think that what you're describing has already sort of been in the works informally for a long time amongst many different businesses and, and firms where people are looking for... And they hear that, that young engineers are looking for outside opportunities or interested in exploring something else within the AEC industry at large. I think that most of us have um, done our best to sort of give people a, a short
0: experience
2: in a different role um, with our partners, our business partners, right? I'm thinking specifically of an intern that we recently had in my firm where um, he practiced in construction for a summer and then he came to work in engineering for a different summer. And then I think that a lot of what people are looking to achieve with through internship experiences, there's an opportunity for doing something of that nature with our business partners for full-time employees who are new to the profession.
0: I know we hear this all the time, and there's often um, a lot of confusion about who owns the topic or who is this really for, but I understand that sometimes SE3 is considered a women's initiative. Is that the case?
2: It is. I would say that SE3 is confused for a women's initiative uh, more often than it is not, and something that we we work to combat quite often. No question, the goals of SE3 are well aligned, improving equity within the profession, um, very well aligned with women's initiatives and other industry organizations who are working to improve the advancement and retention of women specifically. But when you look at the range of topics and issues that we tackle through the SE3 committee, I think that I may be biased here, I'm certainly biased, but I really think that there's widespread appeal to all practicing structural engineers. More often than not, the issues that we tackle are business practice issues, things that firm leaders are uniquely interested in, are specifically interested in tackling um, to address recruitment, retention, engagement, and all of these things that ultimately affect the bottom line a few key topics that address equity specifically, almost everything that we cover with the survey study, with the presentations that we offer and the programs and panel discussions that we lead as an outcome are widespread and should be broadly applicable to anybody who's practicing in the instructional engineering profession.
0: Rose, for those of our listeners who are now immediately in love with the SE3 committee and all of the fantastic work that you're doing, Can you tell us what some of the benefits and opportunities are to volunteering to sit on the SE3 committee? How can our listeners get involved?
2: That's a great question, Alexis. There are so many different ways to get involved. And one of the things that I would say is most rewarding about sitting um, as chair of the committee in recent years as it's expanded into different states and local SCA member organizations is just seeing the variety of people who are drawn to the project and who want to contribute. We have a number of key strategic initiatives that we've undertaken for 2020 and beyond. And I would say that, once again, I am biased here, but it truly is a committee full of really dedicated professionals who are inspiring in their own ways. Everybody who's involved in the SC3 committee loves what we do. We are so dedicated to structural engineering as a profession. We just want to see its uh, future secured, really. Some of the things that we've been really working to expand on in in the coming year and beyond um, have to do with broadening the conversation beyond just looking at the the data and the survey results. I think you guys get the sense now that the survey has been around for some time and people who have been with it from the beginning are really sort of starting to wonder, like, what do we do with all of this, right? The survey data is, is a great tool to start conversations in an objective way, but I think that the time has come and and is well past now for us to turn what we've learned through this data into action. In the recent year and and moving forward, we've been really working at crafting some new programs that are going to be implemented at the local level through different SEA member organizations. Individual communities of structural engineers are trying to inform what it is that they want to hear most about. The way that we've been approaching the programming in the coming year is really um, organized by topic. So if you want to present a panel discussion on work flexibility, then you can go ahead and, and do that and lead a discussion with industry leaders in your community on work flexibility Uh, means to you. If you want to tackle the issue of compensation and the commoditization of our services and how that leads to the impact of hours worked and burnout and what that does to our profession, then that's another issue that you can tackle. And so we've really been organizing the data that we have from past studies and collecting information from this current survey and trying to turn it into um, actionable things that people can discuss, can talk about, can work to improve. These are things, um, there are many, many different ways to get involved in the committee at large, but uh, these are just some examples of things that we're currently working on. Now,
1: that's great, Rose, and because it's not just a diversity issue, it's pretty much a professional issue for the industry. And yeah, recruiting or retention, all these things, they do affect the bottom line from like a business perspective. And Because you know, when someone leaves a firm, any firm, that costs the firm money. That's why it's such a big deal, especially if newer engineers are, are leaving. That's costing the firm money. And so getting involved in these types of workshops or these uh, initiatives, they're interesting topics and they can really help the community out. And the, the industry is really concerned with these and they are looking for solutions and ideas.
0: I would like to imagine that most of the engineering leadership that we have, whether you're at a principal level or or ownership level of a firm, everyone has a vested interest in SE3 and the outcome of the work that you guys do.
2: Absolutely so. And I've been deeply encouraged and moved by the amount of support we've received from firm leadership, industry leadership, and then the outpouring of support that we receive from um, the leadership of different SEA organizations. I always say that structural engineers are amongst the most ethically responsible, yes, but also socially compassionate people that we know. I think many of us were drawn to the practice of structural engineering because of the positive impact that we felt we could make on society and our communities. The SE3 committee is just one other way that people are banding together to show their support for supporting the future of our profession and adapting the way that we do our work to meet the needs of that future.
1: Last question, Rose. Based on the feedback from the SE3 survey to date, what are some of the biggest challenges facing the structural engineering profession today?
2: I think that a lot of the things we've already talked about um, here are things that impact recruitment and retention. Let's just try to do our best to summarize a few of the things. So I think that when we pull the profession at large and ask people what we think the biggest challenges facing our profession are, recruitment and retention definitely rises to the top so does the uh, challenges surrounding commoditization of our services and reduced compensation or inadequate compensation relative to other professions that are similar, right? That's how I should frame it. There's also this advent of technology or the ongoing use of technology, how this will evolve as our work continues to become more efficient through the use of technology or perhaps automated through the use of technology. I think the question has really arisen, that relates to how we're going to differentiate ourselves in these times when technology starts to impact the way that we deliver our work. Recruitment retention is is the number one issue driving most structural engineering businesses these days, but it speaks to the broader issue of how to attract young engineers into our field, how to retain engineers after we've trained them, and then how to combat the everyday reality of how our profession fits in with the overall AEC industry and the financial um, changes that are occurring within that industry in terms of the way we do our work and the the speed with which we we are expected to deliver our work
1: yeah those are definitely loaded questions I mean those are big problems that you know not one firm can answer but hopefully every firm has to try to address those and what I see is the commoditization I think that's what really stands out to me just because, yeah, even with the computer programs and AI and and stuff like that, with the emerging technology, it's interesting to see how we tackle that and how we can add value, uh, especially with all these new technologies that are coming in. So really appreciate those insights.
0: Where can our listeners find you? Where can they connect with you? Through this podcast, there will be a link posted
2: to my LinkedIn profile. I'd be happy to connect through that. Um, If you're interested in learning more about the SE3 committee through NCSBA, you can visit us on our website at www.se3committee.com. You can also find us through the Northern California chapter website of SE3, which is the original website. It's se3project.org.
0: Thank you again, Rose. And we're looking forward to having our listeners connect. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. To leave them, please visit StructuralEngineeringChannel.com. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, which is episode number 26, as well as any links to the resources, websites, or books mentioned in today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
1: Also, we just want to let you know that the Engineering Management Institute has brought back their previously popular Monday morning motivational methods to inspire us all through these trying times of dealing with the current pandemic. You can find them in video form on EMI's YouTube channel at www.youtube.com slash engineering careers under the playlist tab.
0: Until next time, we wish you all the best in your structural engineering endeavors.